Genesis chapter 21. I'm going to start reading in verse number 8. In the English Standard Version. It says, And the child grew, speaking of Isaac, and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. And so she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. For whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He said, And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. And listen to this tragic story unfold. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar putting it on her shoulder along with the child and he sent her away and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba Hagar is turned out of her home, out of her house and left to wander in the wilderness of Beersheba with a loaf of bread and a skin of water and when the water in the skin was gone, verse 15 said Hagar is at her wit's end, and she puts the child under one of the bushes. And she went off and sat down opposite uh, him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. And he said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? What's wrong, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Somebody say, where he is. He's heard him right where he is. And he says, up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. All the time she was sitting there. All the time that she was mourning this loss. All the time that she thought her son was going to die. She didn't know the promise. She didn't know the prophecy. But her real problem is that she couldn't see what was right in front of her. God opened her eyes and showed her a well that was already there. It was already there. And so today I, I want to preach to you from this subject. When you see it, my hope is that before we leave this place, somebody will see it. And man, maybe, maybe it's been right in front of you, but you haven't seen it. But I hope that today somebody will see it. Would you pray with me and for me right now, Lord? God, I pray you, you would come and have your will, Lord. We don't need a, a pretty sermon in this place, God. We don't need just another routine Sunday service. But, God, there's somebody in a desperate place that's looking for an answer. And, Lord, we need you to open our eyes, God. We want to see what you have prepared for us, God. We want to see what you're going to do in us and for us, God. We want to see it today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. 
Sometimes you just don't see it. I cannot count the amount of times that I have walked into a room and not seen the item that I'm looking for. I know I'm the only one here today that that's ever happened to. I know I'm the only man here today that that's ever happened to. But I've walked countless times into a room looking for something, and it was right in front of me, and I didn't even see it. And this is usually followed by my wife or, in the past, my mother who would walk in right behind me to the place where I just looked, and they would see what I did not see. I have a long history of not being able to find things. When I was a child, I I remember countless times I went to church with no shoes. And it wasn't because my mom and dad couldn't afford them. It was because when I got home, I would throw my shoes anywhere. And when I went to go look for them, I could not find them. And some days, my mama couldn't find them either. That's when you know it's really lost, when mama can't find it. (laughs) And let let me have a moment of honesty in the beginning of this message that I have gotten mad at my kids. I've gotten angry at my wife. I've claimed things were stolen. I've griped and fussed. Well, somebody must have broke in while we were sleeping and moved it. Because <laughs> I don't see it. What I was searching for wasn't missing at all. It wasn't stolen. It hadn't been removed or replaced by a malicious family member who was just trying to mess with me. It was right there all along, but I just didn't see it. Most of us have lived that story out over and over again. Some of you maybe even this morning. Some more than others. But the underlying truth is that our perception about life isn't nearly as trustworthy as we would imagine it to be because we typically tend to think we know what we need and we know where to find it and we know how to get it. And sometimes it can be right in front of us, the answer that we've been looking for, the answer that we've been seeking, but we just don't see it. We just can't see it sometimes. We interpret what we see by what we expect. And when we don't see things as we expect to see them, even though they're there, we can overlook the very thing that we're looking for. And this is the reason many people didn't see Jesus. The Bible tells us that He came into His own, and His own received Him not, because He was not what they were expecting. He was what they were looking for, but He wasn't what they were expecting. And sometimes our perception and our expectation keeps us from seeing what we need to see. Sometimes we just don't see it. Perhaps you've looked upon a couple where one is much more good looking than the other. And you said, I just don't see it. What do they see? He must be rich. He must have a nice car. He must have blackmail. I just don't see it. Anybody ever seen that? I just I can't see it. I can't see it. I, I don't. I don't, just don't get it. You know, you go to restaurants that everybody else loves, and you eat it, and everybody else is raving about it, and you say, I just I just don't see it. I just can't see it. And sometimes we just can't see what we're looking for. And 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 I I started going back as I read this passage and as I started to think about it. And I, started, I thought back to the 90s. The 90s were an interesting time. 
I was just a, a teenager, uh, early teen in the 90s. And I, Does anybody remember when magic posters were a huge fad in the 90s? Uh, magic eye posters. Now, some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm not talking about voodoo or anything like that. But actually, this right here is the background is, is a magic poster that, that I pulled for this graphic. And, and uh, magic posters are uh, stereograms. And a stereogram is a hidden picture within a picture. That if you look at it the correct way, that there is a 3D image that will supposedly pop out and you will see something that was right in front of you that you didn't see before. I remember walking through the mall. I mean, when I talk about this being a big deal, this was a big deal. I remember walking through North Star Mall in San Antonio and they had a kiosk right in the the busiest hub of the mall with these magic eye posters, and they were selling like 50 or $60 in a frame. I mean, really, people, it's a poster. But it wasn't just that they had a kiosk. There was a crowd of people there. I remember it as clear as day, and people, some people were, had their nose right up to it. Other people were standing back. Other people were crossing their eyes, and they were saying, I just don't see it. And uh, I, I remember, oh, I want to see it. What is it? You know, the, the, the paintings themselves were hideous, or, or the pictures themselves are hideous. But supposedly, if you look at it long enough, or if you look at it correctly, you'll see something that you didn't initially see. And so I said, I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to be left out. This was the fad. We didn't have hoverboards. We didn't have iPhones. We didn't have, you know, uh, Instagram and Snapchat. We didn't have all that. We didn't have all the fads that we had. We had posters. And I wanted to see what was in the poster. And I tried to see what was in the poster. And the unfortunate truth today is that I can neither confirm nor deny whether stereograms really work. Because to this day, I've still never been able to see it. It's my confession today. I know what some of you are thinking. It's easy. You just, you just hold your nose up to it and you back it away slowly. See, I've read all the directions. <laughs> I've researched and studied. They say cross your eyes. You should have seen me last night. I had my, my laptop and I, I didn't want to print it off because that would have taken too much time. I had my laptop right up to my nose. And I said, I was trying to back it off like maybe, maybe just one time before I preach this message, I'll be able to see it. <laughs> I cross my eyes. They say, look at the middle distance. I don't know where the middle distance is. They said, look, look, stare like you're staring past it. And, and before long, a 3D image is going to pop out at you. And I remember standing in that mall, staring at the poster, and I thought, well, this one doesn't work, so I went to the next one <laughs> and tried. I couldn't see it. Went to the next one, couldn't see it. And as sure as I'm standing there, somebody would walk up and be like, oh, do you see the dolphins? Look, it's a shark. I can neither confirm nor deny it because I never could see it. The devil is a lie. He will steal your time looking at stereograms. <laughs> That's what it was. It was, a, it was a massive conspiracy by hell to distract Christians and get them to stare at pointless posters for hours. I mean, I, I, I just don't see it. I just can't see it. It's there. I know it's there. In fact, I pulled it up on Photoshop last night. And there's a thing you can do where you can, you can overlay the same image and contrast it and drag it to the side and you can supposedly see it. And I still really couldn't see it. But it's there. 
And as hard as I try, I couldn't see it. I know it's right in front of me what I'm looking for. People tried to coach me. They tried to encourage me. But I couldn't and still can't see a stereogram. Maybe some of you are looking at this right now and you've already seen it. But I've never seen it. Supposedly there are some birds in this background here. Now now y'all are not going to listen to me. (laughs) Now... I just lost y'all the rest of the time. Like, do you see it? I, I can hear y'all whispering behind your phone. <laughs> do you see it, honey? No, I don't see it. Sometimes you just, you just don't see it. Amen? And this is the story of Hagar. Hagar is the, 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 the concubine of Abraham. Sarah did not believe in the promise of God and, and, and didn't believe that it would come to pass because of her old age. God had promised a child in her old age and and she said, I, I think the time's about up for the promise to happen. And so she says to Abraham, I want you to call in Hagar and I want you to take her, my handmaid, for your wife. And uh, you can bear a son through Hagar because Hagar can give you what I can't give you. And so uh, all, all before uh, uh, this story unfolds, Hagar is an important part of Abraham's family. She was In Abraham's life because she couldn't believe that the promise would come to pass. Until it finally did. Emergency services. Um, My watch thinks that I'm in an emergency here. Excuse me. 911 thinks that we're having a a problem here. I'm getting a call on my phone now. Amen. I I guess you're really Pentecostal when you're preaching and your watch starts calling 911. So here's Hagar. Hagar is in trouble because Ishmael uh, or Isaac comes along and Abraham finally has his promised son. And, and everything is fine for two or three years. But when the time comes to wean Isaac from Sarah and, and uh, they throw a big celebration that Ishmael is a little bit older, probably about 10, 11 years older. And Ishmael is mocking and making fun of the big celebration because the boy is being weaned from his mother. And so Sarah has had enough of it. And she says, you know what, Abraham? I'm tired of this. I'm tired of living, looking at my mistake, living with me. And so cast out the bondwoman and her son and, uh, because they are interfering with my promise. And so they cast them out. She is abandoned and rejected and broken and, and sent away. Abraham was essentially saying to Hagar, here's some water and here's some bread. You're not my problem anymore. It hurt Abraham to do it, but he did it and he sends her away. And she's left to wander in the wilderness of Beersheba. She is aimless. She has no place to go. She has a a, a water skin and a loaf of bread. Not enough for a few days. She departs and wanders the wilderness. And when the water in the skin is gone, verse 15 says, she puts the child under one of the bushes. She's run out of water and she knows that in these conditions they won't survive for very long. And so she lays the fading Ishmael under a bush and she walks uh, about a bow shot away and she gets on her knees and she is weeping because the end has come for Hagar. She is going to die of thirst in the wilderness. And she she walks away because she doesn't want to see her child die. And she lays him down and weeps aloud. And God 
heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called out to Hagar from heaven. And he said to her, what is troubling you, Hagar? What's the matter, Hagar? What is troubling you? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. He says, get up. And pick up your baby. Pick up your boy. Because I will make him into a great nation. I can imagine what Hagar is thinking. She is saying, how can this be? We are about to die of thirst. We're out here in the wilderness where nobody can live. Where nobody can survive. And God is speaking from heaven of a future for my son. I will bless him and make him a great nation. And listen, then God does something that changes everything thing for Hagar. She thinks she's lost and hopeless. She thinks she'll never make it out of this place. But God opens up her eyes to see the well that's been right in front of her all along. I don't believe that God by the sovereign hand and and miraculous hand created a well. That's not what it says. The eyes were opened. Just like with Adam and Eve, same Hebrew word. Their eyes, when they ate of the fruit, their eyes were open. They noticed what had already existed. They noticed what had already been in place. Their eyes were open and now they recognize that they're naked and they feel shame. And so God doesn't create miraculously a well. The well was already there. Hagar just wasn't seeing it. Hagar just couldn't picture it. She had looked past it. She had looked over it. It was right in front of her, but she didn't see it for what it was. It's right there, Hagar. You're weeping that your son is going to die when your answer is right in front of you. You've given up, but God is going to open your eyes and show you that there's an answer already available. Provision was already made. When Moses came to the bitter waters of Merah, they had been three days without water. And they finally find a fountain, the children of Israel in the Exodus. And they go to drink of the fountain and they taste that the waters thereof are bitter and, and brackish and they can't be drunk, uh, uh, drinking. And so uh, Moses prays to God and he says, God, what did you do? Israel is losing their mind because they're in the middle of the wilderness and they think they're about to die. And the Bible says that God spoke to Moses and he showed him a tree. And he said, if you'll get the tree and take the tree up by its roots and put it in the water, then you're going to survive. The waters will be made sweet. You see, here's the thing. The tree had already been planted long before Moses came along, long before Israel ever went into Egypt. The tree was already planted. God was already giving it the sunshine that it needed. God was already giving it the water that it needed. And the solution was already in place. Moses just couldn't see it. And God opened his eyes and showed him that a tree had already been planted for him. Listen, just like with Hagar, the well was already there. But she had just been overlooking it. Why? Why do we overlook the answers when they stare us in the face? Why? Perhaps Hagar was more focused on her problem than her solution. And listen, the more power you give your problem, the less vapor you give your solution. Sometimes our problem is our problem looms so much larger than the solution. We just want to talk about how bad it is. We just want to believe in how dire it is. Some people thrive on that kind of drama. I'm not looking at anybody. 
I'm just here trying to share Jesus. Some people thrive on the problem. And maybe Hagar missed it because she was more focused on her problem than her solution. Her eyes were more affixed on the sun that was dying than the well that was right in front of her. You see, maybe she was blinded by fear and overwhelmed by grief. Maybe her emotions were all out of whack because of the circumstances that she was in. We don't know why. She just she couldn't see it. Maybe her vision was clouded because of what Abraham and Sarah had done to her. You know, bitterness has a way of blinding us to what we really need. Bitterness has a way of cutting us off from the things that we really need. We need the church of God and we need a word of God. But when you're bitter and angry and hurt and broken, it's easy to let bitterness blind you to the thing that you really need. But here's the issue. She needed water. Somebody say she was thirsty. She was thirsty. That was her problem. She was thirsty. She was thirsty. Have you ever really thought about thirst? Thirst is the warning system that tells us when we need water. It is the innate trigger that tells us that we are in desperate need of life-giving water. Thirst is not the problem. The lack of water is the problem. And listen, thirst is not the solution. Because thirst motivates you to look for the solution. And Hagar is thirsty. She becomes fully aware of her need when the water skin runs out. It wasn't long until the desert conditions took their toll on the boy and he's about to die. And so she lays him under a bush to walk off and weep and mourn. Everything hit home about that moment. Why was she here? How had things gotten so out of hand? Why was Abraham and Sarah so cruel? How had she gone from having a safe place and a home to dying in the wilderness, forced to watch her son die from a distance? She needed water. And more than anything else in that moment, her thirst was telling her what she really needed was water. What she really needed was water. She could have focused on Abraham and Sarah, but God is more focused on the solution than He is the situation. Why why didn't she see it? We don't really know why she didn't see it, but we do know that uh, the solution to her situation was in reach. She just wasn't seeing it yet. And God had already made a way. She just wasn't seeing it yet. Somehow, in all of her searching, she had just overlooked it somehow. And it took a word from God. It took a word from heaven to open her eyes, to help her see the solution that God had already put in her path. And listen to this. She's thirsty. She's desperate. And I just want to stop here and say that thirst means something. Thirst is really a gift from God. It's hardwired into the human body to let you know when things are getting out of hand. Anybody ever been really thirsty? Like really thirsty? All of a sudden you don't care what you got to do. You don't care that it's water. Some of, you know, some of us are snobs. We only want Diet Coke or, or sweet tea. 
But when you really get thirsty, there's nothing that will satisfy you like water. And God gave us thirst because thirst is the trigger system that tells you that the way that you've been living and what you've been experiencing has left you with something lacking that you are in need of. And so if we weren't thirsty, we might just die. But when we start to thirst and when we start to feel it down deep, all of a sudden our mindset changes that I've got to find the thing that I'm missing. Thirst is the motivation and some of us we despise the emptiness that we feel in our heart we despise the emptiness that we feel in our life and we're wondering we're trying religion we're trying anything and everything we can do but we're still thirsty and the reason you're thirsty is because God is trying to tell you there's something missing that you need there's something missing that you're not seeing See, when you see it, it changes everything. Hagar had her eyes open. And when she saw the well, her son went from death to life. From no future to God's destiny. From lost and dying to found and thriving. Why? Because her hope was in the well. Her future was in the well. But it took God to help her see it. Though it was there all along. See, I'm preaching to someone today that God has planted an answer in your path. And it is not far, it is near. But we just need God to open our eyes to see the thing that we've been looking for. God showed Hagar a well. It was the water of life for her. It was the link to her tomorrow. It was her way forward. It was the well that would give her life. And suddenly she's able to live when she thought she might die because God opened her eyes to see. When you see it, Hagar... It changes everything. It changes everything when you see it. Hagar wasn't the only one to overlook the well. In John chapter 4, Jesus was in Sychar and left Sychar. And the scripture says that he must needs go through Samaria. And Jesus steps into a place where most Jews would not have gone. And he walks to Jacob's well where he meets a woman there at the well of Samaria. And listen, he sits down and... And, and as taglines go, this is an interesting one because Jesus sits down at the well and he says, hey, I'm thirsty. Give me something to drink. Just him and the woman at the well. Give me something to drink. I am thirsty. There's something that I'm needing to do here. It was thirst that motivated Jesus to come to the well. Why? Because there was a thirsty woman that he would meet at the well. She came for the same reason he did. She needed something to drink. Her family had run out of water. She was making her daily journey to this well that, that helped to quench her thirst. And Jesus tells her, give me something to drink. And the Samaritan woman says to him, wait a minute. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaria. Can you believe the audacity of this woman? She doesn't know who she's dealing with, first of all. But she immediately walks up into the middle of the biggest controversy she can think of. What are you doing talking to me? What are you doing talking to me? I'm just a Sumerian and you Jews are too big and high and mighty. She's caught up in the cultural conflict. And she doesn't realize that she's thirsty and what she really needs is right in front of her. And she's caught in the cultural conflict. Caught up in the divided racial line. Now, I didn't come here to preach this. 
But I'm just going to go ahead and say it. She is distracted by the conflict of race in her current culture. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So why would you ask for a, a drink from me? And Jesus without hesitation, responds back to her. And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, he says, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus understood this woman was thirsty. She had been feeling the lack in her life. And that's why she was at the well. And she's caught up in cultural conflict. And look, Jesus says to her, he says, look, if you knew who it was, you wouldn't care if I was a Jew. You wouldn't care if I was wearing a clown suit. If you knew who was talking to you, you would ask of me and I would give you drink uh, uh, to drink from the water of life and you would never thirst again. She came looking for a well, but she didn't realize that what she was really looking for was right in front of her. And Jesus said, if you really knew, you would ask for living water, and I would give it to you. And the woman said, she still doesn't get it. She's a little slow. Loudmouth, controversial, but a little slow. And she says, sir, the well is deep, and you have nothing to draw water with. Where, where will you get this living water? How are you going to give me a drink when you were just asking for a drink a moment ago? And uh, she, she goes then to, to her history and, and she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Because he gave us the well to, and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. What she's saying to Jesus is she's saying, don't you know where we're at? This well has been here long before you got here. And my grandparents and their grandparents and the grandparents' grandparents have been coming to this well for generations. And are you somehow going to give us something better than Jacob gave us going way back? How are you going to do this? She knew this well. Her family had been drinking from this well for a long time. And she wanted to know how Jesus could be better than what she had already been experiencing. You know what she's really saying? saying, I'm fine. Don't mess with me, preacher. Life is good. We've got this well we've been coming to for generations. We've, we've got a well. We have a solution for our thirst. We've got, and we've had it for a long time. I, I'm really, I'm okay, Jesus. And this well had gotten her through some thirsty times, or so she had thought. But what she wasn't seeing is that every time, every time she drank from this well, she had to come back again. Every time that she drank from this well, she had to return again. Every time that she took water home, time and circumstance would happen and they would drink it, but it wouldn't sustain them and she would have to come back again. And the problem was that she always came up empty, always came up thirsty. She was okay for a little while. She didn't feel thirsty anymore. But pretty soon that motivation and that lacking would rise back up in her inner being. And she would say, I've got to go get some more water. We're thirsty. You see, thirst is a gift from God because thirst is the warning signal that we have been missing something that is vital. It's an indicator that the well that we have been drinking from has been leaving us empty and longing for more. 
And God wants to give us more than temporary satisfaction. Temporary reprieve. God wants to give us more than just a cycle that we're stuck in. Somebody coming back for another shot, another hit, another time, another day. And Jesus tells her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. You can try to fill up the inner void with riches. You can try to fill it up with relationships. You can try to fill it up with all the things that this culture says that you need and that you want. But here's what Jesus is saying. I realize that you have a well. And I realize that you've been trying to satisfy your soul in some things. But you're always, whoever drinks of this water will indeed thirst again. You're always going to come back to the base level of feeling empty. Always. Always. You can try success. You can try fun. You can try pleasure. You can try pride. You can try all of these things. But Jesus says that everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Jesus was trying to show her something that she was not seeing. She was here interacting, but she was overlooking the answer that was right in front of her. That it wasn't in the well. It wasn't in the water that she knew. It wasn't in what she had been coming to her entire life. It wasn't in what her family said would sustain her. It wasn't in what culture said would sustain her. It wasn't in all of that stuff. It was right in front of her. And she couldn't see it. And Jesus tells her, he says, I'll give you to drink of this water. And if you'll drink of it, you'll never thirst again. It'll be like a spring inside of you welling up into everlasting life. And listen to what she says. She, she kind of starts to see it. Because she says, sir, give me this water that I may drink of it. Give me this water that I may never thirst again. And neither come hither to draw. Jesus starts dealing with a real thirst. He says, I'll give it to you. Listen to this. He says, but go get your husband. And I'll give it to you. She steps back and she says, well, uh, actually, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says to her, he says, indeed, you've well said you don't have a husband. He said, you've had five husbands. And the one you're with now isn't even your husband. Indeed, you well said that. Because I know the well that you've been going to. This woman had been trying to drink from the well of relationships for a long time. Bouncing from man to man. And when it didn't work out and it came up empty, you know what she did? She went back to the well of relationship again. Maybe it'll work out this time. Maybe I'll find what I'm looking for this time. Maybe I won't be abandoned and maybe I won't struggle this time. Maybe it'll work out. Ever the optimist. But ever coming back. She says, I have no husband. She's been looking for love in all the wrong places. 
looking at all the wrong things, driven by thirst to come back to that well, driven by thirst to find another man to draw from when the well of relationship ran dry. This is what thirst does. It's when we, when we cannot see the answer and we're thirsty, we start turning to stuff that looks like the answer, that in the moment it feels like the answer, and it feels good for a little while. It'll soothe for a little while. It'll help for a little while. But inevitably, on a lonely Tuesday night, the emptiness comes crashing back in. And all the fun and the pleasure is gone. She was returning to the well of relationship. Not only that, Jesus calls out her sin and she says, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Well, yeah, we just read your mail. I perceive you're a prophet. And then she pivots to religion. She says, Well, I see you're a prophet. Our forefathers say that we should worship in this mountain. And the Jews say that we should worship in that mountain. And which do you think it is, Jesus? She, she pivots to religion. You see, when I described her, many of you probably immediately thought in your, your head, this is not a religious woman. But that's not true at all. She's been drinking from the well of relationship, but she's been drinking from the well of religion too. And she says, our fathers say, and we say she pivots to theological debate. Settle the debate, Jesus. I see you're a prophet. And, and he says, listen, lady, you don't even know what you worship for salvation is of the Jews. You don't know what you're talking about. Your religion is way off. How do you know? Because if your religion were satisfying you, you wouldn't be going and looking at the well of relationship. The reason you're thirsty is you've been worshiping wrong. You've been thinking, I can do it on my terms, in my place. We can set up routine and religion, and I can come and just have it my way, and that'll take care of my spiritual issue. No, Jesus is telling her, no, you don't even know what you worship. Because one day you're worshiping at the mountain, and the next day you're at the well of men. You don't even know what you worship. All you really know is that you're thirsty, that you're searching, that you're looking. You don't even know. She was looking at it, but she didn't see it. She asked the question that matters. She says, I don't, okay, Jesus, I may not know what I worship. I want musicians to come. I don't know what I worship. She says, I do know that Messiah is coming. I do know that there's one that we've been looking for and that when he comes, he's going to straighten it all out. That's what she says. She says, okay. She backs off. She says, I perceive you're a prophet. But when Messiah comes, he's going to fix everything. And Sister Doris, she doesn't see it. It's standing eye to eye with her. She's looking into the eyes of the Messiah. And she's saying, when I find him, and when I finally meet him, everything is going to change. When, I, when Messiah comes, I know my worship is messed up. I know I don't have theology all correct. I know that I've been living an immoral life. I know I've been looking and searching. But when I see Jesus, everything changes. Just like it changed for Hagar, she understands that if I can ever see Messiah, and if, my, if I ever see him, then it'll all change. 
and listen to what Jesus says. God opens her eyes. And he says, I that speak to you am he. What you've been looking for, it's me. What you've been searching for, what your thirst has been telling you that you long for, Jesus says, it's right here in front of you. It's me. It's me. It's not another. It's not somebody else. They ask, will will there come another? John the Baptist asked, will there come another? And Jesus said uh, that, that the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and blessed is he who is not offended in me, John. Me, I'm here. I'm already here. You don't have to look for another. He's already here. You just haven't seen him yet. You just haven't laid eyes on him. I want us to stand together. Two men are on the road to Emmaus after Jesus is crucified. Listen closely, listen closely. And they walk with him all day long. All day long they talk scripture with Jesus. And finally when they come to their resting spot on the way to Emmaus that night, they sit down by a fireside. They've been interacting with eternity all day. They sit down and the Bible says Jesus blessed bread and broke it. And when they took the bread and they ate of the bread, their eyes were open. And they realized that this was Jesus. The very one they had been looking for. The very one they had been talking about. The very one that their hearts was longing for was right there all along, right in front of their eyes. They just hadn't seen Listen to me closely. I believe there are people in this room as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. People who have overlooked the answer. Listen, it's it's not in just coming to church here. It's not in sitting in a pew. It's not in, in doing church things with church people. The woman at the well had her religion, but she was still thirsty. And perhaps the reason that you still go back and sin after you come to church and worship is because you really haven't seen Jesus for who he is. Jesus says this, I am the water of life. I am the water of life. I am the well that you can drink from and it will never run dry. You'll never thirst again because it'll transform you. Everything else is just a patch. It's just a temporary fix. But he said when the water gets inside of you, when you're baptized with the Holy Ghost, it changes the inner source and God puts something in your life that will spring up and quench your thirst so that whenever you're thirsty, you can return to the well. My prayer right now in the close of this service is that somebody who's been walking with Jesus that hasn't really seen him will walk up to this altar and say, Lord, I haven't really seen you yet, but I want to see you. My prayer is that somebody that's been empty and hurting and broken will walk to the front of this building. And nobody needs to know your problem. You can just come and stand with God at the end of this service and say, Lord, I know that I'm thirsty. And that's why I've been running, God. That's why I've been seeking. That's why I've been chasing stuff. Is because I'm really, really thirsty. And I just want you. Listen, when Paul saw it, it changed everything. 
Paul showed up on the road to Damascus and the blinding light took his vision away. When he saw Jesus, Brother Darrell, he couldn't see anything else, both spiritually and both physically, because a man who was hell-bent on resisting the kingdom of God, hell-bent on killing Christians, when he saw Jesus and he looked into the light and he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you have persecuted. Everything changed for Paul. And Paul was blinded to everything else because he had seen Jesus. Listen, that's what my prayer is today, is that somebody will see him so that everything else fades away. And Paul went and did what was necessary from that moment forward. Nothing was out of bounds. He was willing to repent. He was willing to be baptized. He was willing to be filled with the Holy Ghost. He was willing to sit on the bench for years in order to become apostle. He didn't care what it took because he finally saw it. This is what I've really been looking for. I wonder in the close of this service if somebody would just be willing to step out of your aisle and step to the front of this building and have a conversation with God to say, Lord, I want to see you. God, I've been looking at everything else. I've been searching everywhere else. And maybe I've looked over you, but Lord, I just want to see you. Come on, church, would you step out of the aisle? Let's create a place where people can come pray. I want to ask CLC Church Body, please, just come up. Be here, be available for somebody that wants to pray. Come on right now, Lord. Jesus, I want to see you. Because when I see you, everything changes. When I see you for the answer that you are, everything changes. No more addiction. God, no more sin struggles. I can defeat the flesh when I can see the Savior. I can defeat my addiction when I can see the Savior. I can overcome 